Hi, this is Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for jumping into our podcast. Over the next three months, our new series is called Lineage, and we're going to walk through major characters of the Old Testament from Abraham all the way to Daniel and understand the movement of the nation of Israel. This is important because it's part of our lineage. Our lineage isn't just made up of our ethnic or national identity, but as Christians, it's primarily this Old Testament story. Abraham is the father of our faith. And in Ephesians, we learn that God is making one people, Jewish and Gentiles, into the story of lineage, of how God has called a people to himself. So I hope that as you read the Old Testament, it wouldn't just be stories of dead old Jewish guys, but you would look at it as your own ancestry, as part of your story and the story that we're continuing. Hope you enjoy our new series. Thanks for chiming back in, guys. And I'm sure you all have great answers. And, you know, I'm probably sure it's pretty exciting stuff. Like, you know, some of you are like exercise in the morning and then... Most of you are probably like caffeine. So all the coffee, the tea addicts, and that's totally cool. And actually, if you want, I would love to hear responses to the question in the comments. So go ahead, share. Would love to hear it. You know, it's just fun to share. As for myself, it's a little embarrassing. So getting up in the morning is actually super difficult for me. I've always had this terrible reputation of being a deep sleeper like the deepest of sleepers. My family can attest to it, my friends, like college and childhood, and even my boss, Wilson, can also attest to it. So you know, it's like normal, right? Some people fall asleep in the car, but for me, I would fall asleep before a meeting, I would fall asleep while studying, I would fall asleep in front of all my friends, and so anywhere, anytime, I could fall asleep. And you know, relax, don't worry, it's better, it's a lot better now, but as a kid, it was by far at its worst. I remember I would set, like, five different alarms, and I could, like, kind of, like, vaguely remember my mom screaming my name, and they'd be like, Erwin, Erwin, but, like, nothing would really get me out, and so my sister, she used to joke, uh, Erwin's probably dead, and, like, at that point, I might just be, but my sister, she, she's a good sister, and she's always scheming. She has a plan. And on those days when I was just extra difficult, she had a weapon. So what she would do, she would go to the restroom, fill up a cup of water. But you got to think, this is ice-cold morning water, right? So she would carry this full cup of water to my bedside, place it over my face, and dump it all on my face. And instantly, I would wake up, and she would just yell, he's alive, like some Frankenstein movie. And dude, when you feel it, it's strong, right? It's strong, it's erupt, and when it pours, it all comes down at once. But it works. It gets me to wake up. And it's because I'm awake that I know, and everyone else knows, that I'm alive, and that I can actually start living. Now, young Erwin can get out of bed, go to school, study, play tennis, do all the things that remind him that he's living life. And that's what we're talking about today, that sometimes we need a moment to help wake us up to the reality of being alive 
so that so that we can actually start living the life God intends for us. This is what it means to be living in the Holy Spirit. And as we dive into the word, Peter, the ex-fisherman, the rock on which the church was built, Peter is going to show us that living in the Holy Spirit comprises of three things. One, that living in the Holy Spirit is living in honest transformation. Two, living in the Holy Spirit is living in God's word. And three, living in the Holy Spirit is living in dynamic witness. And so our first point, and if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 5, but our first point, living in the Holy Spirit is living in honest transformation. And so we're going to start in Luke 5 for today. And just a little reminder, Simon is Peter. This is before Jesus gives him the name Peter. And so Luke 5, 4 starts here, and you can put it on the slide right there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled boats so full, they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled to their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, it's a great passage, and I'm sure most of us are familiar with it. Pastor Dave has taught on it. Wilson has taught on it. And you've definitely heard this probably somewhere else. But I wanted to point out something that's extremely significant to this passage on being alive, on being awake. And so next slide is so it's like a little zoom in verse 4 and 10 to 11. And if you notice, I actually changed the verses to the ESV version because the ESV version actually really shows Jesus intentional wordplay. You see, the first catch in verse 4 is argon. And Aragon has this idea to do with hunting. You know, the Greek usage was more like catch and kill. There was an idea that when you catch fish, it's dead. And if you know anything about net fishing, it's really graphic, actually. The, the fish are going to die. Their gills get ripped out from the netting. They're, they die from asphyxiation because of mass crowding and the lack of water and oxygen moving. And so the catch, right, that's assumed by Peter and the other fishermen is understood as dead. But when Jesus talks about catching in verse 11, he uses the word zogron. It's actually best translated as catching alive. You see, Jesus didn't intend for Peter to catch dead fish. Jesus intended Peter to catch living people, to bring them from death and into life. And you know what? Jesus sets the perfect example, right? Jesus was the first fisher of men. He catches something in its inevitable and presumed death and brings it to life. He catches Peter and the other disciples and he brings them from inevitable death, Argon, and catches them into assured life, Zogron. Peter is literally experiencing the living Jesus. He's repentant before Jesus. Jesus receives him, 
and he drops everything, everything to follow Jesus. This is Peter's wake-up call. This is Peter's moment to know he is alive in Christ. And you know what? We just had our moment, right? We just celebrated Good Friday, Easter, and that's the best way to wake up, right? We know we're alive in Christ, and that's why we celebrate. But you know what's funny? Let's go to Luke 22. And here we see Peter as Jesus is being arrested. He denies Jesus one time to one person, one time to another, and another time to another. Three times total, he denies Jesus. Wait, what? Isn't this the Peter who knows Jesus, who's supposed to be alive in Jesus? And after that, you know what Peter does? He weeps. Peter is broken and he's confused. He's scared. He's also facing the reality of what he has done and where his heart is. And then in John 21, even after Jesus is resurrected, this is supposed to be the best news. Jesus shows himself to Peter and the disciples. They're, yes, he's alive. And he tells them to wait for him in Galilee. And they do just that. Sweet, good. But actually, upon arriving in Galilee, what does Peter do? Peter goes back to fishing. He went back to what he knew, catching dead fish. Can you relate? Maybe you've seen Christ in your life. That's probably why you're here listening today. But in a season of difficulty, of doubt, it just seems like it all went back to what it once was. And at that time, you probably felt guilty. You maybe felt bitter, scared, just like Peter. But you still find yourself doing the things you once did. You fish for dead things. You try catching the things that don't give life. And you're probably asking, and I've asked the same, what do you do? What am I supposed to do? Well, Peter shows us that when we're faced with this reality, the reality of what we've done, the reality of our heart, we get honest. John 21, 15, 19, I won't read the verses, but I'll summarize. That after going back to fishing, right, Peter's back fishing. Jesus goes from miraculous catch round two. But this time it's not a wake-up call like it was. It's a reminder. Peter is reminded of who Jesus is. And when John yells out, it's the Lord, because they finally realize who it is, Peter jumps out. He goes into the water. He swims to Jesus. Peter at that time is called to remember the moment he saw Jesus wake him up to life. And then Peter, once he's at shore, he has this intimate moment, an honest moment with Jesus. And Jesus asks him three times, so serendipitous, right? Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter's asked, he is put in a place by Jesus to assess his reality, to assess his heart, and dive deep from there into remembering who Jesus is. He's put into a place to be honest with himself so that he could actually love the Lord. And it's in this honesty that the Lord finally responds to him, follow me. 
the imperative that Jesus gives Peter right then, keep following me. Peter shows us that to live in the Holy Spirit is to remember constantly the moment we were brought alive by Jesus and woken up, but then to know him and then to follow him. And that Jesus will time in and time again ask the question, do you love me? And it is in our honest response that we allow Jesus and his spirit to assess and to dive into the deepest parts of our hearts because it's there that we actually realize what it means to be alive and living in his spirit and then transformed. But you know what's crazy? Peter's transformation is not fulfilled just yet. And so now we, a little jump, we find ourselves in the book of Acts. And in the beginning of the book, right, we know Jesus is resurrected and Jesus is now preparing the disciples for his ascension. And on one occasion before he ascends, he gives them this command. And you can show the next slide. Acts 1, 4 to 5. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus ascends. And after 10 days of waiting faithfully, the day of Pentecost arrives. Jewish believers from all over the known world, right, are coming to partake in the harvest and remember the Passover. And this is what happens. And if you want to get your Bibles, make sure Acts 2, 1 to 4. Next slide as well. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from the heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separating came to the rest of each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Remember the story I told you in the beginning of my sister and how she would pour all the water on my face? It's not a really fun story for me, but this is Jesus pouring the Holy Spirit It's the Holy Spirit wake-up call to actually living in God's Spirit. It is strong, it's abrupt, and when it comes, it all pours all at once. And it's in that same power and that strength that we see Peter is transformed. Peter goes before the whole crowd. They're confused and they're not sure what's going on. Bystanders think they're also drunk. And Peter emphatically explains to them what's happening. He speaks with confidence and assuredness. He shares the gospel with urgency and context. He's bold, but he's extremely mindful. And he shares to 3,000 people at least. This is not the Peter we once knew. The Peter we once knew couldn't even admit to three people he knew Jesus. Well, now he's telling everyone who Jesus is, and that's the work of the Spirit. You see, Peter had to first be honest with himself, with the Lord. He had to allow the proper assessing and excavation of his heart so that he would be in the proper place for the Spirit to transform him. He has to wake up to his reality to realize what it means to be alive and living in the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's doing more than just transforming his character. That's just part of it. He's also transforming him into living the life Jesus intended for him. He's finally becoming the fisher of men that Jesus talked about. He is finally doing all the things that he said he would 
and that Jesus said he would. He's catching people from death and bringing them into life in Christ. Peter is showing us that living in the Holy Spirit is living in honest transformation. And then our second point, right? So we've got two more. Living in the Holy Spirit is living in God's word. And you can put up the slide. So there's a whole bunch of Old Testament verses there. And as we can see, actually, in Old Testament, we see how the Spirit anointed people. And we saw a few of them through our lineage series, like David, Saul, Elijah, just to name a few. And so in Old Testament, in the right time and in the right place, God momentarily anointed individuals with his Spirit. And he would use them to bring people into repentance. He would sometimes use them to bring themselves into faith and to bring them primarily into finishing a task that he specifically set for them. For example, prophesying. And actually, if we're, we're still tracking in Acts 2, in verses 17 to 21, you can look on the slide, Peter uses some of that Old Testament knowledge. He speaks of a prophecy from Joel. And it kind of goes like this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even all my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter is not prophesying, <laughs> just to clear that up. What Peter is doing is that he's affirming that the spirit that just poured out, that spirit was foretold 800, 900 years ago prior by Joel, the prophet Joel. And it's through Peter's understanding of Old Testament, right, that can make this connection. He could bring this understanding to the crowd, right? And so the tongues, right, all the craziness, languages, all this happening, this is part of the work of the promised spirit of the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel, the spirit of the Old Testament. And so Peter then quotes David's psalm. And so if you jump down to verse 25 to 28, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Man, what a beautiful passage. But you know what? Peter's not showing this to, to just say nice words or a nice poem. But rather, it helps him show to a primarily Jewish audience that their old King David, the one that lived and died a thousand years prior to that date, he knew Jesus. Jesus wasn't even conceived yet. Think about that. But he knew the Lord. He knew of the spirit that Jesus would pour and that Jesus was Messiah. Jesus was Lord. And Jesus would pour his spirit. And so the tongues, the languages, all that is happening, right? All the craziness. This is part of the work of the spirit of the Lord 
Jesus, the risen God, the spirit of the new covenant. See, the spirit being poured, it's no longer in part. It's now in full. It's one of old and new, and it's all one and the same. And so Peter He can affirm the Spirit, know the Spirit, not simply through experience, but by knowing God's Word from beginning and end. Peter is showing us that living in the Spirit is living in God's Word. And maybe some of you have to ask this question. Do you have God's Word written on your heart? It's one of my favorite questions to ask, and I I just want to clarify it. It's not a legalistic thing, and it's definitely not a competition. But it's revealing, right? That when God's word is carved on your heart, then the Holy Spirit has full potential to use that. That the Spirit could bring God's word before you to remind you, to prompt you, to encourage you. And that the Spirit would bring you to a place of proclaiming this truth to yourself, to others, a fellow brother, sister, a coworker, a friend, or maybe one day the Spirit could bring you before a crowd and you would share God's word with them, just like Peter. And that actually connects to our last point so nicely. Living in the Holy Spirit is living in dynamic witness. As Peter is emphatically proclaiming the gospel, Jesus is crucified, Jesus is risen, Jesus is Lord, he is Messiah, and the Holy Spirit is here. You know how the crowd responds? Their hearts are pierced, and you'll see that in verse 37. And just like Peter was, they are put in a place of honest realization. They're connecting the dots in their heads of what Peter is saying. They're connecting the dots of Joel, David, their prophet, their king. And they become aware of the reality. And they ask, what do we do? And Peter tells them something that Jesus would do. (laughs) It's like his WWJD moment, just a little joke in there. But in all seriousness, he says, repent, be baptized, call on the Lord. And at that, 3,000 come to Christ. The first church is formed, and they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They break bread and pray together. They're in awe of the wonders that the Spirit is doing. They're together, and they have everything in common. They sell their property and possessions so that they can give to the needy, and they meet every day to praise God and enjoy favor with one another. And you know what? The Lord added to their numbers those being saved daily. Peter and the church are living in the Spirit. That as the Spirit works in and through them daily, People are calling on the Lord and saying yes to the gospel truth. They are living witnesses to the spirit moving in them and into others. Acts 1.8 on the slide, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is exactly what they did. 
The church went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the known earth, witnessing the works of the Holy Spirit. And to this day, we bear witness to the moving of the Holy Spirit in God's church. It's not static. It's not still. It's dynamic. This is the acts of the Holy Spirit in Peter and the church. This is Peter and the church showing that living in the Spirit is living in dynamic witness. And that's why we're here today. Someone alive in Christ, living in the Spirit, invited you to church, shared the gospel with you, raised you up, right? And somehow by the miraculous work of God's spirit in them, you're here. You're listening. You know, a reality that we have to understand is that the church did not become the church without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had to work in the middle of it all. The spirit needs to be moving in each of us, being the unifying spirit, the heart between all of us. And that's what's going to bring us to a further fulfillment of, I think, what we we understand as God's kingdom on earth. You see, Renew would not be a church without the work of the Spirit. But, you know, we're, we're here, we're alive, right? You know, I know it's been a difficult season. It, it's pandemic, social disruption, and just like brokenness everywhere and unjust living. And I think it makes it that much more important for the church and us to ask a really important question. Do we know that we are alive in Christ and living in his spirit? And I want to share this one last story. It's going to wrap up our time. So stick with me. Just a couple years ago, I spent a year in East Asia. Most of you know that. I was doing missionary work. And those are some of the best times, but they're also some of the most tumultuous. I remember praying before I left. This is super like bold of me, but I was like, Lord, help me count the cost of following you. Man, he answered that prayer. Within a matter of a month, my uncle passed away. I remember just bawling in front of two of my teammates. I felt like I let my family down. I felt like I couldn't help. And I just mourned the loss of my uncle. He didn't know Jesus. I pled with God to stop the pain. And, you know, momentarily it seemed that way. And then when a matter of five more months, my grandfather passed away. And I cried myself to sleep for two nights straight after hearing the news. And I plead again with God, why? Stop the pain. And I I just found myself tempted. I wanted to go home. I wanted to say bye to the calling that God had given me to go overseas because this was too hard. And the opportunity came. I could fly home from my grandpa's funeral. I could go back home. I could stay home. And I, I came back. But I also went back to East Asia. 
But once I got back to East Asia, I almost immediately started making headway to return home in just a matter of months. I applied for secular jobs, got a few offers, took an offer, and used that as my reason to return home. But this is exactly when Peter's story resonates. That out of a moment of despair, a moment to run and go back to the life I was living, when that came, I took it. And I justified coming back home after a year. And then once I came back, you know what happened? The company apologized. Oh, sorry, we're, we're sorry to inform you. We have restructuring issues. We actually had to make some layoffs. We can't hire you at this time. Man, I was broken. And so I had to meet up with a friend, and I would probably say more of a mentor. And she just wanted to know how I was doing. And for some reason, she kind of just starts our conversation with, hey, I'm not sure why you came back, but I hope you know Jesus still loves you. And the Spirit was working through her, and I, we're in a boba shop, for goodness sake. And I just cried. And it was at that moment, it felt like Jesus was doing exactly what he had done to Peter. I was brought to honesty. I had to admit I was scared of the future. I was unsure of my uncle and my grandpa's salvation. I never shared the gospel with either of them. They never got to respond. I was bitter that I failed myself. I felt like I failed my family and I felt like I failed God. But in this honesty, this honesty was necessary for the transformation. I found myself remembering who Jesus was, who Jesus is, the one who loves me, saved me, who brought me to life. And I found myself again, deep in God's word. The very verses that motivated me to go into missions ranging from Moses to Paul, they were, they were like clicking again and again, and they, hit, hit, they just hit, right, with potency. And once again, there was power that came from knowing the gospel. Knowing that I had life in Christ, but I was also living in the spirit. And when that change happened, I found myself asking a different question. It wasn't about what do I do. It was about, Lord, what is your spirit leading me to do? And honestly, like simply, that's why I'm in the season I'm in now. Seminary, youth ministry, trying to mobilize like mission work. And it's been in these places that I've been able to witness the work of the spirit. I get to see youth kids and even my youth leadership have like aha faith moments, light bulbs. I see fellow classmates and seminarians, they, they learn God's word, they're provoked by it, and they want to share it. And now I get to continue connecting with missionaries, people overseas, and I, I hear their vision for ministry there. It's such a big vision. And all of that, right? is the work of the Spirit. It's living in the Holy Spirit. 
and renew. I want that for us. I want that for our church. And I know, and I've shared in this, that it's been a season of discomfort, of difficulty, and a lot of waiting and questions. But today I want to assure you, church, that you are alive in Christ. You are living in the Holy Spirit. And as this week, this month, this year continues, you're going to turn off this sermon. <laughs> you're going to do life. But I pray that you would be blessed with the foreknowledge that the Spirit of God, the one that transforms when we're honest, the one that is in God's living word, well, that spirit is working in you. And you get to bear witness to its work within you and those around you and to the extent of the world. Would we be a church that starts asking the question, Spirit, what would you be leading me to do? I pray we would be a church that continues living in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. <sighs> dear Holy Father, Lord, um, dear Holy Spirit, I pray that as we grow in the profundity of understanding you, God the Father, you, Jesus, the risen Son, Lord, the Spirit, that we would never undermine your work in us. That God, that Jesus, you have given us the Spirit so that we would know you, we would connect to you, and we would be empowered by you to live in a life that is full within us, <laughs> but overpours, outpours to the people around us. And so, Lord, I pray for renew, and I just pray for our hearts, Lord. Would we know that you accept us as we are? Would we know that you bring us into you? And as we accept that, we receive that, we then realize that there's a world that needs that. And so, Lord, I, I just lift up each person here. It's a, It's been such a blessing to be with this church. And I, I just ask that as they continue this week, continue uh, on to tomorrow, would they know all these things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.